Hey, this is Brendan Gersall from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. We are in a series we are calling Good News. And it's all about the gospel or the good news about Jesus Christ. And we've been asking this simple question, you know, what makes it good news? Why is the good news good news? And we've been breaking down the details of the good news of Jesus Christ. We have been looking at the unique realities about it. And first we established this, this principle that really matters, and that is this. That the gospel is news, that it's an announcement. It is not advice. It is not something that you should consider and maybe apply to your life or this thing that you do once in a while. It is not that. It is an announcement that we live under the reality. And when we, when we live under that reality by faith, it starts to change everything. And this announcement is good news for specific reasons. And so over the last several weeks, we have been doing the deep dive, taking our good old time, because I want to get us clarity on the details about the gospel. And so we've looked at the fact that the gospel, it's good news because Jesus came. God is with us. It's good news because Jesus rules. He has all authority. It's good news because he showed us and became the way for us to live life. He taught us and demonstrated the way of life. It's good news that he died. We looked at that last week. And if you haven't seen these messages, I'd love you to go back and check them out. And now today... We are going to get to what I believe and what Paul is going to say is the most critical detail of the good news. We're going to get into the specifics of the good news, and this is the most critical of all the details. Now, there's an old adage, and that is this, that the devil is in the details. And the the point of that old proverb is what? It's that details really matter. That if you miss certain details, it can cause all kinds of problems. And quite frankly, the bigger the issue, the more important the details. And so when it comes to life, details matter. You know this to be true. We know it to be true in history. I don't know if you know the story about in 1962, NASA lost a $673 million rocket because someone failed to put a, a decimal point in the right place. One decimal was the difference between the, the success and failure of a half a billion dollar rocket. Details matter. Uh, I, I read this week about a, a time where a, a travel agency took out a, a, an ad in the Yellow Pages. Kids, Yellow Pages were this, was this book. It was in the, it was in the phone book. And it was, it's this book. With all the, anyway, don't ask your mom. But there was this travel agency that took out an ad about, and they were advertising an exotic vacation. And yet there was a typo, and instead of exotic, it was an erotic vacation. And all of a sudden, they had an influx of cancellations and new bookings. Details matter. Uh, Some of my favorite detail flubs are, you find them in church. If anybody grew up in church, you remember the old church bulletins? There are some legendary like failures in detail. If you go back, go online, look at bulletin fails. I pulled up a few of my favorite ones. Here was one. This was found in a bulletin. Get this, get this fail. Barbara remains in the hospital and needs blood donors and more, more transfusions. She's also having trouble sleeping and she requests tapes of Pastor Nelson's sermons. Details matter. Here's one. The associate minister unveiled the church's new tithing campaign slogan last Sunday called, I up my pledge, hyphen up yours. Details matter. I like this one as well. 
advertising a men's prayer breakfast. Men's prayer breakfast, no charge, but your damnation will be gratefully accepted. Details matter. And we've been diving into the details, realizing that the details about big things like life, like heaven, hell, the afterlife, meaning, purpose, our past, gospel issues, the details are absolutely paramount. And we established this statement early on in our series. We said this, that if you get the gospel right, you'll get life right. And so that's been the genesis and the framework even that we've been operating, trying to get the unique details of the gospel right. And this is the backdrop of our text today in 1 Corinthians 15. This has been our text the whole time, and it is today. And we're going to do the deep dive. We're going to get a little further in it today and really kind of see what Paul goes on to say. But to catch some of you up, the reason that Paul was writing in 1 Corinthians a synopsis of the gospel, clarifying the details, was because the church in Corinth was nuts. There was all kinds of craziness going on. They weren't living the life that God called them to live. There was no evidence of the reality of the gospel being fleshed out in them. And so Paul says, you have a gospel problem. And he starts to highlight the details. And so I want to jump back into our text. And I want to look at how Paul begins to clarify the gospel so that once you get the gospel right, everything else clicks into space as well, into place as well. He says this, and let's, let's jump in and we're going to get to the, to the detail of today. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you. Now, let's go back and review the details of the gospel that I preach to you. The one that you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel and no other, he's implying, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. You see the specificity in this. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. Other translations say, or maybe you've believed the gospel that is no gospel at all. The details matter. And so he starts to lay it out for us. Look what he says. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. We talked about that last week. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now watch this. And that he was buried. So he was so dead they buried him. This wasn't just half dead. This wasn't just really beat up. He was dead dead. He was buried in a tomb, and now here is the quintessential detail we need to know today. That he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul goes on to say that Jesus was crucified, he died, he was buried in a tomb, and on the third day, on day three of his death, he rose again. And Paul makes the claim, not just here in this scripture, but with another 42 verses, that if you miss the detail about the resurrection of Jesus, you have missed the good news. That the resurrection of Jesus, the fact that he rose, is the most important detail. Now some of you are saying, well, aren't the other details important too? Absolutely. But if you remove the resurrection— from the other details, like the important detail of the fact that God so loved us that he sent his son, that Jesus, God was incarnate. We talked about the fact that he came. That's an, a non-negotiable detail that really matters. The fact that he lived and demonstrated his power, the fact that he taught, those are details that really matter. The fact that he died, that's a detail that is quintessential. It absolutely matters. But get this, if Jesus did not rise again, you do not have good news. You do not have the gospel. If we miss the detail of the resurrection, we miss the gospel entirely. 
If you don't have the resurrection, you don't have the good news. If Jesus hasn't risen, the good news is dead. If Jesus hasn't risen, then we are still dead in our sins. The entirety of our faith hangs on the resurrection. Well, some of you say, doesn't it hang on the cross? No. Jesus hung on the cross, and then he was placed in a tomb, and then he rose again. Our faith hangs on the fact that he rose again, that he lived even though he died. And this is what Paul is stressing. He's saying the good news isn't just that Jesus came. It's not just that Jesus lived. It's not just that Jesus taught. It's not even just that Jesus died. The good news is this. He rose again. And this, this is my title today. If, you, if you're a note taker, write this down. Good news, Jesus rose again. Good news, Jesus rose again. If we miss the detail of the resurrection, we have missed the gospel. Look at how Paul goes on to explain. Look what he says. He says, if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? There were people in Paul's day, even just 60 years after Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again, and people saw him, eyewitnesses were still alive. There was a growing faction of people who did not take seriously the claim of the resurrection. And so Paul is saying, how can you say this? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, get this language, see it, see how important this is. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. It's useless. Look what he goes on to say. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ, those who have died before us, he's saying, they're lost. They're just dead, hopeless. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Note the language. Paul zooms us in as he tells us the truth of the gospel and he gets the facts straight. He gets the facts of the account of this news straight. Jesus came, Jesus taught, Jesus lived, Jesus died, and he rose. And the resurrection is the most important detail and it's the one that we are often most prone to miss. And Paul says, if you miss this, if you misplace it, if you misconstrue it, if you don't take it seriously, or if you dismiss it, you have dismissed the entirety of, of the thing that our hope hangs on. He says, forget about it. You should pity us. He says, you know what? If you miss this detail, don't listen to me preach. Don't remember my words. Don't worry about going to church. Don't worry about following the way. Don't worry about it because it's all useless. You are, your sins are still active. Jesus is dead. Our hope is gone. It's all useless if he's not risen. This detail, get this, and I want to harp on this. This detail above all, the fact that, that the gospel claims that Jesus literally rose from the dead. He actually rose in body. This is not a metaphor. It was not just a, an inspirational story. He literally, this is history. This is their story. This is our story. He rose from the dead. This is the central detail to which we hang our hope. If Jesus is still in the grave, Paul says, it is powerless. It is not good news. You might as well pack it in. Eat, drink, for tomorrow we die, he goes on to say. It's just a heartwarming, inspiring story at best. If he didn't rise, then the gospel isn't that good. Don't miss the detail. He literally rose. Now, some of you are like, well, 
How do we miss that? There's a variety of ways we can mess this up. There's ways that we sort of, we sort of like unraise the risen Christ. We, we sort of take, take that idea of a literal, tangible, actual, tactile, physiological resurrection, and we set it aside. And, and there's a variety of ways we can do this. One of the ways we're tempted to do it is when we intellectualize it. We say, well, you know, we don't take it literally. We take it literarily. It's to help inform us, to teach us theologically what God is like. It gives us philosophical handles. It might even be something, it's hyperbole. It's inspirational. It's a, it's a picture to help us understand God. Some of us try to spiritualize it, that Jesus rose in spirit, not in body, and, and our spirit someday will rise again. Well, that's actually not the claim. The claim is that he rose again. And some of us try to run with this you know, it's the spirit of the resurrection. You know, it's a comeback story that, yes, he was dead and he was buried, but his spirit rose. And you know what? There, there's, there's comeback stories for us too that we can live and we can come back as well. That's not what they were claiming. They were literally claiming this Jesus was crucified, dead and buried, and he rose again, literally. Sometimes we'll try to rationalize it and we'll say, well, it didn't actually happen. It couldn't happen. This is the problem in Corinth. They're saying, you know what? People don't rise from the dead. We know. We know it's a ludicrous claim. Paul knew it was a ludicrous claim, but it is the claim. Don't confuse it. Don't get it messed up. He literally rose from the dead. People will try to trivialize it. They'll try to say, well, it's not that important. I don't like to think about that. We'll sort of put that over here. We'll focus on the teachings of Jesus. To set aside the resurrection is to set aside the totality of the gospel. And finally, some people will try to scandalize it. There's been lots of theories, conspiracy theories, cooked up and built up about the resurrection, trying to give explanation to something that defies logic and explanation, something that supersedes science, something that supersedes our understanding. Any way that we try to unraise the risen Christ, we have, we have buried the gospel. We have lost our hope. Get this. He rose Jesus rose. This is what Paul wants you to see. He rose. It's not an allegory. It's not a metaphor. It's not an inspiring story. It's a verifiable news report. Remember, it's news. And the news is this. From hundreds of sources who laid eyes on him, who touched him, who hung out with him after he'd risen, who ate meals with him, hundreds of sources who had everything to lose by going on the record, they went on the record saying this, Jesus rose from the dead. It's a bold claim. They knew it. I know it. We know it. But have you heard it clearly? He rose. He rose in body. He rose. Don't confuse it. Don't confuse what we're saying. You can reject it or you can accept it. Don't confuse it. The claim of the gospel is that Jesus literally rose from the dead. And it calls into question. It causes us to have to make a decision. Paul goes on to actually say, look what he says. He says, if Christ has not been raised, he gives that the, the logic about if you remove the resurrection, you've lost it all. But then look what he says, verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who fall asleep. He's going on record saying, Jesus rose. Don't get it twisted. And once you make that claim, it causes us to have to make a decision. Once you hear clearly, yes, yes, we are actually saying that our Lord, he died and rose again and lives forever. That is the claim. And once you hear it, you can't feign ignorance anymore. 
This is what Paul did to the men in Athens. When he was in Athens in Acts chapter 17, he's sharing the gospel and sharing the, the theology and the philosophy of the gospel with the leading thought leaders of the day. But then all of a sudden, after he gives these great reasons and this great logic for, for our faith, he drops the bomb. And he basically says, look, you can't be ignorant after I tell you this. Look what he says. He says, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. What's he saying? He's saying, you can't pretend that you don't know what God was up to anymore. We are making a statement on the statement that Jesus made when he rose again. It causes you to have to make a decision. Again, you can reject it or you can accept it, but don't confuse it. The gospel is Jesus died, was buried, and rose again forever and ever. This is the good news. This is the, the hope in which we have. It's on a risen Christ. Now, really quick, I want to give you the reason this is good news. Now that we've clarified the details, I want to give you three reasons why it's good news that Jesus rose again. Why it's not only central to the details, but it's central to the power of the gospel. And here it is. Reason number one is this. If Christ, if he has been raised, then his claims are all true. If Jesus has rose from the dead, if, the, if, he's, if he's risen, then the claims that he made are all true. The resurrection backs up his claims. It is the exclamation point on all that he said about himself and all the prophets spoke about him. It is the visual confirmation of his verbal confession. We all know the adage, talk is cheap. We know that's to be true. We like, don't, don't tell me, show me. That's, that's where, show me what you mean. Show me that you mean it. Show me who you are. We, we don't actually take a whole lot of stock in what people say until they can back them up. You people who are employers, if you've ever hired someone, you know this to be true. What do we do when we're in a job interview? We, we ask the obligatory questions. You say, hey, you know, what are your strengths and, and what are your weaknesses? And they'll say, oh, you know, I, I'm very loyal. And they'll say, you'll ask, what's your weakness? And they'll say, well, you know, I work too hard. I don't know when to quit. Those ones. And if you're an employer like me and you've done these interviews, you don't really care about those things. What you look at is what? The resume. I don't care what you say. Tell me what you've done. And once I see what you've done, I can believe what you say. And this is the fact at play for Jesus. He came stating some pretty major things about himself, and he backs it up by the resurrection. The resurrection affirms the claims with visual evidence about Jesus and the fact that he was being truthful. It is his resume. The things that he did, that they are all culminated in the resurrection. The resurrection bears witness to the claims about who he said he was. It's all true. Look at this. The fact he is who he says he is. The resurrection bears witness to it. It's true. He is who he says he is. Who did he say he was? He said, I am. Insert. I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection proves it, doesn't it? I am the way. The resurrection proves it. He even made a way where there was no way, through death. I am the truth that supersedes things we thought were laws. He said, I am the life. Even going beyond what? Beyond death. 
I am the bread of life that never spoils. Death can't even take me. I am the light of the world that the grave can't even quench. I am salvation. I am the Son of God. I am the Son of Man. He made those claims. And the resurrection says it loud and clear. He is who he said he is. The empty grave lays claim. It proves his claim is true. It's the litmus test. It legitimizes him. It's the DNA results. It says, yep, son of God, he really is who he said he is. It also tells us that he can do what he said he can do. He can do exactly what he said he can do. Why? Because he did it for himself. He was able to do it for himself. The resurrection moves Jesus's claims from sentimentality to actuality. It's more than just a nice thought that he wants to bring healing. It's more than just a nice thought that he wants to forgive sins. It's an actuality. He actually rose. That means he's actually almighty. It means he actually has authority over death. It means he's actually greater than death and decay and entropy. It means he actually rose, which means he actually can heal. He can actually forgive. He can actually restore. He can actually reveal. He can do what he said he can do. He can do it for himself. Therefore, he can do it for you. If Jesus can heal himself, he can heal you. If Jesus can restore himself, he can restore you. If Jesus can set himself free from the bonds of sin and death, he can set you free from the bond of sin and death. If Jesus can redeem and restore himself, he can redeem and restore you. The gospel tells us Jesus rose, and the fact that Jesus rose, it tells us he can do what he said he can do. Can I get an amen? Right in the chat, amen. He can do what he says he can do. Another thing, another thing it tells us, that he loves us just like he said, and that his love was sufficient to power him even through death. Not even death can keep him from getting to you. How incredible is that? Not his death, not your death, not our sins. Nothing can keep him from you, not even the grave. This is what the writer of Hebrews was getting at in Hebrews 12. It said, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What, what is the joy that was set before him? Is it riches? Is it glory? Is it heaven? No. He left that. Why? In pursuit of us. Reconciliation. Intimacy with us. The great reunion with God and his people. That's the joy that was set before him, and not even death could keep him from accomplishing it. How good is that? Jesus rose. It means he is who he says he is. He can do what he says he can do, and he loves us the way he says he loves us. Nothing can stop the love. Like we said last week, nothing can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. Not even death. It couldn't even separate him. It couldn't separate him. Second thought is this. Number two, if you're taking notes. Christ has been risen from the dead. Number two, if he has been raised, then through him all is new. He has been raised, and through him all is being made new. His resurrection, get this, is not a comeback. It's not a reboot. It's not a resurgence. The resurrection is a new beginning. It's the beginning of a whole new creation. A whole nother level. I just felt myself saying that. It's the beginning of a brand new creation. It's Jesus making all things new. Don't mistake this. It's, it's, the, it's the moment where the creation that God made that was desecrated through sin and through man's defiance, 
is being recreated or newly created through Jesus. This is what the Bible shows us. If, you, if we had time, I'd love to map out for you the story of the Bible. In Genesis, it gives us the Coles notes. It tells us that God made everything. And there was a garden. And that there was a, there was a tree. And that God formed man from the dust. And that when he breathed the breath of life into the man, the man became a living being. And this is the, the beginning picture. A tree, a man, breath, dust, dirt. This is the picture. And then what happens? Sin enters the world and man falls. Civilization, uh, creation falls. Things start to dissipate and desecrate and things start to decay. But then Jesus, what happens? The gospel is a man comes along on a tree and this tree he dies on now brings life because the tree that the original Adam ate from brought death. This new Adam dies on a tree and brings life. And his last breath breathes new life into all of us. He's laid in the dirt and he rises again. Where? In the garden. This is not coincidence. This is the centrality of the story. This is all about new creation. Look at how Paul, he goes on in 1 Corinthians 15. Look what he says. He goes, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first of those who have fallen asleep. He's number one. He's the prototype, the archetype. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also, through, also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made, say it, alive. All will be made alive. But each in turn, it's going to be in order. It's going to happen. It's going to flow. It's going it's to follow out. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come. And when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion and authority and power, he takes complete authority. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under his feet, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, here it is, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be, and this is what I wanted you to see, all in all. What's that referring to? What was, what was Paul just saying? Well, it was a fancy way of saying that through the resurrection of Jesus, through the new Adam, the true Adam, God is reconciling and restoring. He has reclaimed this fallen, broken world. And through Jesus the first, he is beginning a restoration, recreation process. Don't get it twisted. I know sometimes we think about like, th this, has been, this has been purported in like, people have believed this, that, that Christianity, it's all about believing that Jesus died for my sins so that someday I can go to heaven. No, read your Bible. The Bible tells us that Jesus came down. Heaven came down. New creation came down. Life came down. And it went all the way down into death, into the dirt, into the grave, and burst forth into new creation. Where? In the garden. And Jesus comes, and his first breath is the first breath of the new creation. Breaths that will be taken throughout eternity and will be fulfilled in the end. Read the end. The vision in Revelation 21 is, Then I saw a new heaven coming down to a new earth. And they came together in this kind of full, perfect harmony where God is all in all. He will be their God and they will be his people. And there will be no more sorrow, no more mourning, no more crying. This is the gospel. Everything is being made new. All new, it means a new creation. 
means every square inch of this old dying earth is going to be and is being restored day by day, moment by moment, until the day ultimately when Jesus returns and just does away with death entirely. But don't get it twisted. The old ways, the old earth is passing away. It's dissipating, disintegrating. And the kingdom of God, the new creation is coming through Jesus and through the people of God. This is the story. This is the gospel. It's, we're going to have new bodies. This is what Paul talks about, putting on the imperishable, putting on an everlasting body. How cool is that? Like when, when the disciples saw Jesus, he was, he was human. He had a body, but it was different. He could go through walls. He could do things, but he ate. Mysterious, I know. But this is what the Bible promises. We will be given an eternal body, a body that is glorious, a body that doesn't decay or rot or go, or go bad or age. Think about it. We are promised through the resurrection to follow after Jesus that the way, same way that he got an eternal body that can never die, we will get an eternal body that can never die. That is exciting. Think about it. Some of you who deal with chronic illness and chronic issues with your body, you would feel this hope more than, more than maybe some of us who don't. There will be no more pains or aches in the body that you have when you rise again. There will be no more high cholesterol. There will be no more diabetes. There will be no more heart disease. There will be no more deformities. There will be no more paralyzation. There will be no more deafness, hearing loss. There will be no more aging. There will be no more vision loss or blindness. No obesity. No psoriasis. Nothing. Not even a hangnail. We have perfect eternal bodies in store for us. The same way Jesus rose, we will rise. Hallelujah. That is incredible. That's what our hope, that's why it's good news. That means if, if this body is breaking down, some of you who are maybe in the, the, on, the, on the home stretch of your life, you're in your 80s, your 90s, and your body is breaking down. If you are in Christ, you have a new eternal body coming for you. How incredible is that? Jesus is going to give every one of his followers a hardware upgrade. You're going to get to turn in your old model for an everlasting model. How incredible is that? That's the gospel. New creation, new you, uh, a, a new, new bodies, a new you. What do I mean by new you? How's that different? I mean your soul. God did not, the, God's restoration project, his new creation, the resurrection, doesn't just give us new physiology. Our spirit, our soul is being made new. God is transforming us into the substance of the people of God. He's making us heaven ready. He's making us eternal ready. That's what he's doing. That's why when it says the same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you, he's transforming your character to give you eternal character. Some of us at some points, all of us really, we, we, we operate with dying mentalities, dying urges, dying character. And Jesus has come to, to exchange our heart of stone for a heart of flesh that will beat forever. That's the hope of the gospel, that he will change us into his image. Like it says in 2 Corinthians, that as we behold his glory, it will transform us from glory to glory and strength to strength. It's a new glory, a new strength, a new body, a new soul, new character. We will be like Jesus. The gospel is this, that it's the good news that Jesus is making all things. I was going to put new because that was my point, but I put better because sometimes new isn't better. Sometimes you, you get a new device or a new car and it's not better than the old one. 
Jesus is making a better world, a better body, a better version of the family, a better version of the people of God, a better you. He's making things better. It's about restoration and recreation. That's the gospel. Final point, and I'll be done. Number three, here's, here's the reason it's good news that Jesus rose. If he has been raised, then believing that changes you. It changes how you live your life. It changes how you go through pain. It changes how you deal with trials and tribulations like many of us are in right now. It changes what you value. It changes what you treasure. It changes what you give yourself to and give your treasure to. It changes what you care about. The resurrection of Jesus, that if it's true and you believe it, it changes everything. It becomes the new true north. It becomes the new anchor for your soul. It becomes the new foundation for your life. That no matter what happens in this world, I'm grounded that my, on Jesus, the risen Jesus who can never die. My hope is fastened to him. Look what, look what Paul says. He wraps up his amazing 1 Corinthians 15. Told you we get to the end of it. Look at this. He says, listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. There it is. Software, hardware upgrade. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe, must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, so that's when that upgrade happens, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Right in the chat, say it. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, here's, therefore, this is how this is going to change you. If that's true, that death has been swallowed in victory by Jesus. If that's true, and he's giving us that victory, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, Stand firm. Plant yourself on that reality. Fasten in. Let nothing move you. Not coronavirus, not joblessness, not divorce, not betrayal, not your failure or the failure of someone else, not shame, not sin, not cancer, not, not the economy. Let nothing move you. Why? Because your hope is fastened into the rock, Jesus, that will never be moved. Death couldn't even move him. He says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It will change you because you will not be moved by anything. Let nothing move you, Paul says. We have, in the words of Peter, a living hope, a hope that is alive. Look, if your hope is in Jesus, your hope is in someone that is alive. If your hope is in your RRSP, you watched your hope dwindle last quarter, didn't you? If your hope is in your health, some of you are watching your hope dwindle. If your hope is in your family and you're going through family trials, some of you are watching your hope get challenged. But if your hope is in Jesus, it is in the one who overcame death, who holds the keys to death and hell. He says in Revelation, Revelation 1, I am the living one the one who died and now is alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and hell. And if your hope is in him, your hope is in the one. It is in the thing. It is in the one person, the one thing that will never be moved. 
Is your hope in Jesus? That is the question. The living hope. No matter what I face, Jesus, Jesus is alive, therefore my hope is alive. Jesus is alive, therefore my sins are dead. You know what? If he's risen, point four. I don't have it on here, but here's point four. If Jesus is still risen, that means my sins are still dead in the grave. Someone needs to hear that today. That's why there is no condemnation. It's because your sins can't get up because they died with Jesus and he's still, he's still risen. If Jesus is alive, my sins are still dead. If Jesus is alive, his life, his love and his goodness and his glory will be all in all. Here's, here's the gospel. The gospel is this. It's good news that this is not the end. If he's risen, that means that today is not the end. That means that what you're going through is not the end. It's not over. The best is yet to come. Why? Because our hope is in Jesus. Not our understanding, not our RSP, not our retirement, not our health, not this life, not this family, not our possessions. It's in Jesus. And the best is yet to come. Here are three guiding questions for us today. First is this. Is your faith still hanging on the cross or is he risen? In other words, have you kind of not focused on the fact that Jesus rose again and just you centralize your, the entirety of your faith on his death? His death matters, but not without the resurrection. If he died and he didn't rise, he's still dead. How does focusing on the risen Christ reshape your life? If he's risen, then what does that imply? Number two, do I let death have sting it shouldn't. Am I letting death, am I letting sin have a staying power, have a sting on my life that Jesus has already removed? Am I letting that happen? How am I allowing sin and death to take more of a toll on my mind, my soul, my, emotion, my emotions than they should if he really is risen? The first of the new creation. Some of you need to take every thought captive. That's what it means in 2 Corinthians 10. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Here's the final thought. I, ask you, I, ask, I want to ask this every week. Have you surrendered your life to the care of the risen Christ? Have you taken him up on his offer, my life for yours? Have you given your life to Jesus? I'd like to pray for you before we go. I want to pray not just for those of you who I, I'd encourage to make a decision to follow Jesus, but I'd like to pray for the rest of you that the resurrection power of Jesus would take new root in your imagination as it takes new root in your life, that you would walk this week empowered by the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, that resurrection power would fill your veins and quicken your mortal body even now as we look forward to the hope we have in the future of an everlasting body, everlasting life with our King forever and ever. So let me pray for you, pray for hope, pray for resurrection power, and I want to invite some of you to pray after me in just a moment to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. So Father, thank you for this word. Thank you. It is good news that you rose from the dead. It is good news. And Lord, right now we we cast away all the ways that we downplay the resurrection or confuse the details of the resurrection. We say it's more than an inspirational story. It's not a conspiracy. We believe the good report that Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. The stone was rolled away. The grave is empty because Jesus rose and the grave is still empty. We receive that today. We believe that today in faith. And God, I pray right now for everyone who believes it. Lord, would you deposit that hope, the seal of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Would we sense your spirit 
giving us hope, reminding us that as long as Jesus is living, our hope is living. And as long as we've placed our hope in Jesus, we have a living hope. And so, Father, I speak hope, I speak life, I speak resurrection power over your church today in Jesus' name. Now, if you've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to just say this prayer that maybe you feel something on your heart right now. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is speaking to you, saying, it's true, it's true. There's something rattling in your soul saying everything he's saying is true. I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. And you feel like today's your day to give your life to Jesus. I want to pray with you. Just pray these words from your heart, from your mouth after me. Just say this out. Say, dear Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you can do what you said you can do. And I believe you died for my sin and you rose for my life. I repent of my sin. I surrender my life. I want to live for you now and forever and ever. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I believe you've been born again. I believe you are now a new creation. And right now, even in your spirit, there is new creation beginning to take over. And you watch in a day, in a, in a month, in a year, in 10 years, God will begin to transform you through the power of his son, Jesus. So I'm celebrating with you. If you made that decision, I want you to text. Let us know. Uh, you, can, you can tell us on the website. Let somebody know. Say it in the chat. Say, I just decided to follow Jesus. We want to come around you. We want to celebrate with you. Bless you, church. Remember, every day at 2 p.m., we're going to pray what? We're going to pray, come Holy Spirit. And we'll see you next week.